Good morning. <laughs> Welcome. If this is your first time, am I turned on? I'm on, right? Yes. Praise the Lord. If this is your first time here, welcome. We're so glad that you could be here with us this morning. Don't mind me as I'm juggling wires and praise the Lord that he uses all of us, even the awkward ones. Um, if this is your first time here, my name is David. Um, I'm one of the pastors. We got two goofy pastors here, Reuben and I. Uh, God has called us as a church to have two pastors. Uh, teaching pastors, and uh, it's because he's called us as a body to have two languages, um, but we have one hope. We're one family here. Even though we don't all speak the same language, sometimes our speaking the same languages and gestures, and, and he went there, and did you see? This is so exciting. I'm smiling. Um, I love it because we've got to see just the reality of one family being able to be a family, rejoicing together when God provides, when God leads, when God's working among us, um, and being able to just lift each other up in prayer uh, as God's doing his work in our body together, we share one hope in Jesus Christ, and uh, so excited for what he's doing in us. Last week, uh, we talked about being ambassadors, ambassadors that have been entrusted with a message, a message of reconciliation, which is a message that God is not holding our sins against us, but he is reconciling sinners to himself, reconciling us to himself. That message of reconciliation is the gospel. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Gospel just means good news. That's Literally what gospel means, the good news of what we have in Jesus Christ. And so what we're going to do over the next six weeks, um, because it is vitally important that we grasp the fullness of what it means that we are each. I am an ambassador. You are an ambassador. God has chosen us as, as those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ. Now he wants us to represent him in every circle that we're in. Where has God put you in your workplace, at the soccer field? Wherever it is that God has put people into your life that don't know Jesus, his purpose for you is that you're an ambassador of him, of the message of hope in Jesus Christ. Um, how we're going to reach this community is not going to be by us putting on some great events, though I hope that we do put on some great events. Invite people to those and share the gospel. But the primary way God's designed for us as a church is that in our loving each other, we are already the presence of Christ in this community. And then in the circles that he puts us in individually, we are now messengers of Christ. So you are a part of reaching this community. So over the next six weeks, including this week, um, which I guess would be a span of five weeks, but so in, in Jewish culture, they would just say, that's six weeks. It um, doesn't matter. They don't think, whatever. I'm on a tangent there. The next six weeks, we are going to dig into aspects of the gospel, important parts of, of the gospel. Now, when you sit down and talk with somebody and share your faith, it's not necessarily going to dig deep in, into all the fullness of everything we're going to go through, but having studied different parts of the gospel message and what we have in Jesus Christ, will enable you to meet someone where they're at. What is it that they have questions about? 
Um, so as we go through, we're going to have a memory verse every week. Uh, this week, our memory verse is Romans 3.23. It's where we start. It's where we all started as sinners. Romans 3.23, let's, can you put it up there? Romans 3.23, let's say it together. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. One more time. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Actually, I meant to do it three times. One more time. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. A great verse for us all to start at. It simply means that everyone has sinned. That's our first point in doing the, the notes. Everyone has sinned. Everyone. And that's something in our culture today that, that maybe is, is an important thing to get to first. Because if I don't realize that I need a Savior, then what, what's the hope of Jesus Christ? But well, once we realize that we have sinned, then suddenly the message of Jesus Christ is very important to us. So we start with this verse, for all have sinned, everyone has sinned. What is sin? Well, uh, sin is, is disobeying God's law. We've all disobeyed God's law, and that involves uh, uh, written law, but also within our hearts. They, you know, God cares about the condition of our heart. But if we, if we try no, to say, no, I'm a good person, I haven't sinned, then we look in the Bible at, at what God's definition of, of the standard, of his, what, what he has told us to do, and there's things that we kind of get a sense that, yeah, that isn't a good thing uh, because God's put that in us. He's, he's written that into us to have a sense of what's, what's right. But then when we look at the standard, you know, we go to the Ten Commandments that were given to the Israelites, and uh, it starts off with our attitude towards God. Boy, how many, how many people put God first in their life and can say that they've done that? But, but maybe that's not... You know, that's not going to convince someone who's, who's not thinking in terms of what God wants, but then just basics. Have you ever lied? Have you, have you, and it says, do not, we're not to commit adultery. Well, I haven't committed adultery, but then it says, well, if, you, if you even look in lust in your heart, you've committed adultery. Well, then I've committed adultery. Okay. Now it's not looking so good. What have we done? Do we stand up to what God has told us to do? No one can. It tells us we can't. And so we've all sinned. Another verse that goes right along with that one. If you're sharing the gospel with someone, it's easy to remember Romans 3.23, Romans 6.23. 3.23, and 623. And it's, a, <clears throat> and it's it's one that follows well after this truth that, okay, we've all sinned and we fall short of God's glory. <clears throat> What's Romans 6? Uh, somebody give me some water. <clears throat> Romans 623. Oh, you know what? I have a water. <clears throat> We're all family here. We don't need to be too formal, right? What does it mean that I've sinned? Well, the wages of sin 
is death. That's the penalty. So that we've all sinned, we all deserve death. Praise the Lord for the second half of that verse. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. I don't know what version I'm speaking from because I memorized it and then it got chested in different versions, whatever. The free gift of God is eternal life in Christ. But the wages of sin is death. And so this morning, in order to get to the light of the gospel, we first have to start from the darkness of our sin to understand what it means that we've, we're sinners. All of us, for all have sinned. Before we get into that, let's pray. <laughs> Father, boy, I need you. <laughs> God, you've chosen me, a sinner, one who has, has been an enemy of you, God, to reconcile me to yourself, just as you have reconciled everyone who's put their faith in you. And God, then you call us, even in our weakness, God, to be a, a minister of that reconciliation. And God, I stand here as a preacher only because of what you have done in my life. So God, I pray that you would speak through your word. Not anything fancy that David can come up with because, God, it's already evident I'm, I'm a flawed human being. But in your grace, in your amazing grace, God, you, you bring light into darkness and you use the weak to accomplish your work, God, I pray that this morning your word would be heard, God, that we would learn from it, God, that you would show us things from your perspective, God, we need your perspective, it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, Romans 3.23, that is our passage this morning, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Why is it that we all sin? Why is it that we're all sinners? Did God create us that way? No. That wasn't what God called good when he finished in the garden. Turn with me to chapter 5 in the same book, Romans, just a couple chapters over. In chapter 5 and verse 12. I've got that. Did I give you 12 through 14? It's a good one. Is that the one that I meant? Um, I am in the wrong book. I'm going, that does not look right. See, God is just trying to prove this morning that he works through flawed individuals. There we go. Let's get into the right book of the Bible, and it will look so much better. That is correct. In verse 12, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, that one man was Adam. Sin is disobeying God's laws. He, he, was, he was given a command. The command was not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and he disobeyed God. So that was, by definition, sin. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. Our great, 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 whole bunch of greats grandfather, Adam, he sinned. And from that point, death entered the world, sin entered the world. We have inherited 
a sin nature from Adam. If you don't think that we start out with sin nature, you haven't had kids yet. You don't have to teach kids how to disobey. They do that very naturally. Usually our work is teaching them how to obey. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given. See, the law was given to Israel much later after Adam. Uh, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Wait a second. So from, from Adam to, to Moses, um, how's that work there? But it says, uh, yet, in verse 14, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one to come. So what's going on here? Adam sinned. There was a clear commandment. He disobeyed it. Sin entered the world. We inherited a sin nature. It says their sinning, they were still sinning, was not like uh, that before because there was no commandment. God didn't give any more commands from that point on. So, so in a legal sense, they weren't disobeying a command of God, but there was wickedness in their heart. It's in that time period that their wickedness was so great that God destroys the world by flood. God is just and righteous to judge us in our sin, even if it's not a specific law, just the condition of our heart being wicked before God. We're deserving of death. Death reigned during that time, and then the law was given. The law looks like a prescription to holiness. Do all of these things to be holy before God. But does it really work for us? Can we, can we come to the law and say, okay, I'm going to do all these things, and I'm actually going to work my way to holiness before God? Um, if we go back to Romans chapter 3, just before our memory verse, in verse 20, it says, For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. The problem isn't. Adhering to the law, really, it's that we have sin in us. What the law serves to do is to expose that, to say, look, you are sinful. You've inherited that from Adam. You are a sinful being. Everyone is a sinner. So we can't hope to find justification before the Lord through the law. No one can. Then, well, that's the gospel of how we get past this. So we're in verse 23, though. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's a disparity there. For all have sinned, there's sin, and fall short of the glory of God. I have the glory of God, and I have my sin. I don't think that we fully grasp that disparity. I think we're very comfortable with where sin is at, and we're very ignorant of where God's glory is at. But the more that we understand the reality of God's glory, and the more that we understand the depravity of our sin, then we start to understand our need for the gospel and the glory of the gospel. So there's this difference. 
There's also between, in this verse, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's in that this implied intent that we were, by falling short of something, shooting for something. That there was a purpose in us to be the glory of God, to not be a sinner. There, there is a purpose that God made us for, and if we look at what is that glory, that glory is what God meant us to be. For all have sinned and fall short of God's purpose for us. What is God's glory? What, what is that glorious purpose that he has for us? I'm glad you asked. Let's go all the way back to the beginning where that glory was in play, where, where it was a reality. Genesis chapter 1. I'm just going to get a little piece of this. We could spend a long time back here. And even in that time, we still would only get a, the smallest picture of what is going on and to try to understand the full glory of how God created us in the beginning. But in chapter 1, in verse 27, this is the sixth day of creation. God creates man, it says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. See, we're first meant to be image bearers of God himself. The world should see the character. And and what does that mean? I I don't know. I, I can't even grasp the fullness of God. So how I'm supposed to represent God um, is still be is beyond me. But I think in many different ways we can find that within ourselves, God's glory, God's design for us is to be image bearers of himself. And God blessed them, verse 28, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit to have them for food and to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, sorry, and everything that has breath of life, I have given every green plant for food, and it was so. And God saw everything that he made, and behold, it was very good, and there was evening, and there was morning the sixth day. God, when he created creation, the account that we're given in Genesis uh, doesn't tell us everything that God did. We find out later, boy, he created heaven, he created angels. He created a lot of things, but the focus, what, what God led the writer, Moses, when he was inspired to write Genesis and the account of what happened was to show God's plan to make a place for mankind to dwell. You see, this is the glory of God's purpose, a place for us to dwell, and I'm, I'm not going to run the clock down too fast, so I'm going to skip ahead of what I originally thought, but through chapter 2, we see just this glory of the Garden of Eden, this place that, that has, has gold and precious stones and rivers flowing and, and every tree that, it, that is pleasant and, and fruit on these trees that you know, so Adam then is, is given this position within the garden, which at first we, we think if we go to, let's skip ahead, verse 15 in chapter 2, um, says, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. 
At first, it seems like, oh, our whole purpose in life is to be a gardener. And to be a gardener in God's garden would be wonderful, awesome. And, and that's kind of part of what he was doing there. Um, now, notice it's not until the curse that he's actually tilling the ground and dealing with weeds and all of that. No, it, God's making everything get watered, everything. He, his gardening is mostly reach out, grab yummy fruit, eat it. That's, that's gardening for the most part, but to, to care for the garden. But those words, there's something cool here because the same author that's writing this is writing the first five books of, of the Bible all together. And so he is seeing the fullness of God's purpose in this. And those same words, to work and to keep, uh, are the words given for Levites in the temple to serve. The same word for work would be translated service. And to keep is, is to obey. That's the same word used for obedience, to obey. And so in here, it's not just him being a gardener. It's him, it's him in obedience, in service to the Lord, in obedience to God, in worship to God, in the midst of the blessing, the incredible blessing that God has brought, the Garden of Eden, in uh, everything provided for him, serving God, the wisdom of God. That is the glory that God has intended for us. And there was one tree, the knowledge of good and evil. It could also be translated knowledge of good and bad. I think what's in view here, because we see it in the temptation, is not understanding moral right and wrong. It's, it's understanding wisdom. They, they saw that the fruit was good to make one wise. And throughout the rest of scripture and in our own experience, what do we have this conflict of our own wisdom against the wisdom of God? They were to trust God's wisdom. And in taking that fruit, what were they doing? They're saying, I want to be the one to determine what is good and what is bad. I want my own wisdom over you, God. And we committed the greatest, highest form of treason, treason against Almighty God. And in that moment, sin entered the world. Death entered the world. We were pushed out of the garden, exiled from God's blessing, from God's provision. And from that point forward, mankind just got worse. The wickedness grew. And so finally, if you turn with me a couple chapters over to Genesis chapter 6, we see the condition of man right before the flood. Genesis chapter 6 and verse 5, the Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. God was concerned with the intentions of the heart. He wasn't drawing attention so much to all of the, the evil acts that they were doing. He was looking at the condition of the heart of man was, con was evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him to his heart. You know, in the New Testament, even for believers, those who have trusted Christ and now uh, ha have been saved, and we, and we have the hope of salvation, eternal salvation, Jesus Christ. 
But in the meantime, as the Spirit of God has put his seal on our life, uh, we continue to sin. And it says when we sin, we grieve the Holy Spirit. As I read these words and see how the grief to God's heart led to destroying the world that he had created, it makes me wonder the depth of grief that the Holy Spirit feels in my sin as he carries me, sustains me, as he's put his seal on me to guarantee ultimately that salvation that is my hope. What great grief the Holy Spirit must feel as I continue in sin. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. One man, Noah. And there's a whole bunch of generations from Adam to Noah, but, but they lived a long time back then. Adam was like 900, I forget, 900 some years old. And so if you, if you add it up with the genealogies that are given there, Noah's dad probably could have talked to Adam. So it's not that far removed from the experience of the garden to, to what Noah would have known, that there is still true God. There was a promise that they understood uh, given. Even while the curse was given, there was a promise uh, that, that the seed of the woman would crush the, crush the snake, uh, looking forward to Christ. And they understood that. They named their, their child Seth, I mean seed. There was a connection. They, they knew that that promise. So, so Noah had a sense of, of this promise that God st there was still hope in God, even though the world around him was, con was just terribly evil. So, but there was only one man at that point who walked with God. It was Noah. And then God judged the world. We make this something to put on the walls of a nursery. It's, if you've ever been around flood, flood is terrible. We've experienced that here in Texas. This is a Terrible judgment. All mankind, all, all animal kind destroyed. And only a remnant of animals and human beings on that, on that ark were saved through the flood. God's judgment on a world was righteous and just. We start to get a sense of the difference between the glory of God and, and my sin. In God's eyes. Well, then it almost seems like another Garden of Eden scenario. See, when creation began, what did he form out of? It was formless and void, covered in water. <laughs> now we've got a world, back to the beginning again, covered in water. And we see the same language that was given to Adam and Eve, given to Noah, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Well, they didn't. They all got together and said, let's not separate had this new technology called bricks. Let's use this technology to reach up into heaven, to cross from our realm into God's realm. Look how great we are. Let's all, let's all do this together. Is that so different than us today? See, God scrambled their languages so that they would separate. 
Do we really speak? I, I can grab something that we use. It's a wonderful thing within our church. Google Translate. I can speak to anyone in the world. We all can speak the same language. The world's becoming a smaller place. We're becoming one people. What do we think with our technology? Do we use our technology to explore God's creation? Is that our heart? Or have we said, God isn't even a part of this? Look how great we are. Look at what we can do with our technology. I don't know. I, th- I think we look a lot like the people, the Tower of Babel, just in our own way now. From there, God scattered them. And then we see ultimately God beginning the process uh, of, of his promise, carrying out the promise that he had even there in the curse. He chooses a man, Abraham. Um, I think it's cool that, that even there, all those generations between Noah and Abraham, um, Abraham potentially could have known uh, and spoken to one of Noah's sons. There, you know, they, they still uh, crossed over in that respect, given the genealogies there. So, so you have now Abraham, God choosing Abraham and saying, okay, I am going to make out of you a nation. I'm going to bless the nations of the world, of the world through you. And, and so then we see this account of Abraham and, and him believing God. It, it was accounted to him as righteousness that he believed God. We see that throughout Scripture. That, that was there in the garden. The fall was them not believing God. Anytime we don't believe God, that leads us in the wrong, wrong direction. Anytime we believe God, that's righteousness. So Abraham believed God. And then God, uh, through his descendants then, that, be, that were, that were capture, captured by uh, Egyptians, and, and then that nation grew within Egypt, and, and finally God rescues them, a giant, uh, this two million people or whatever it was, out of Egypt, and they're in the desert, and he brings them to Mount Sinai, and it's at Sinai that he gives them the law. And in the law... We see the holiness of God. This was a people that God was going to said, I'm going to make you my people. I'm going to be your God. But in order for them to be his people, they had to be holy as God is holy. And so what this law uh, accomplished was to give them the rules for holiness. And, and they would continue to disbelieve, to, to not obey. And, and as that would happen, there was more law that would add on. They would break God's covenant, and then God would would ratify the covenant and add more law to it. And this was to protect them to be a people holy to God. It was also to protect his name, the holiness of God. Do we even know what holiness is? What is holiness? It's something difficult for us to, to grasp. Um, we, we have a sense of, of things that are, have a sacredness to them, that we have, we have set aside as sacred. There's, um, there is, uh, in Virginia, um, it's the Tomb of the Unknown, Unknown Soldier. Has anybody been there? You've been to the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier. A few of you have. When you go to a place like that, is it, you just sense that, that there's a demanded respect, Right? There's a sense of how that place is set apart. It's not like every other place. 
There, there's a picture. This is them changing the guard. And that mat, uh, the, the level of, of detail that they go in, in caring for the grounds, every soldier the day before spends an average of six hours preparing his uniform ahead of time. And when he's there, uh, the, the routine, they walk up and down that mat, is meticulous. I, I wrote it down. Uh, it marches 21 steps down the mat, turns and faces east towards the tomb for 21 seconds, turns and faces north, changes weapons, the outside shoulder, and waits 21 seconds. Marches 21 steps down the mat, turns and faces east for 21 seconds, turns and faces south, rain, changes weapon to outside shoulder, and waits 21 seconds and repeats the routine. Only broken to change the guard or broken if someone is not being silent. If the respect is not being given, they will stop the routine, address that, and then return to the routine. They have carried that on 24 hours a day, seven days a week since 1937. Through any weather, through terrorist attacks, they have not stopped. We get a sense of, in our own humanness, setting something aside as sacred, we get a sense of what holiness is. So then can we get a sense of our sin? In 2012, 2013, we put up the next picture. This lady outside of there had a friend take a picture. And it was met. It went viral on the internet. Outrage. How could you? Do you think in that moment that she, that she thought about how outrageous that would be to people? The rage that they would feel when they saw that. How could you do that in a place that's so sacred? You realize the holiness of that place. It's not holiness because it's what we have said is sacred. What is holy is what God has said is sacred. Do we understand what things in us are so offensive to God? What things profane his holiness. And when we consider what he has created us for, the glory that he has created us for, and then we consider that, de- that, that depravity of our sin, that we're in, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, I can only say the second point is that we profane his glory. We profane his glory. You know, we ask, how can God be loving? And, and fill in the blank. How can God be loving and allow bad things to happen to good people? How can God be loving and yet suffering continues on in the world? We're asking the wrong question. We should ask, how can God be righteous and just? If I look at what happened it, with the flood, that, that righteousness and justice led to destroying all of mankind because of the wickedness of man. How can God now be righteous and just and continue to allow a world to continue in wickedness and sin and allow mankind to live? 
God is loving. How did he demonstrate his love? Romans 5, 8. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God sent his son to a world that doesn't deserve to continue to live. He sent his son to save us. He sent his son so that he who knew no sin would become sin for us so that we could become the righteousness, the glory that God meant us to be. All right, turn with me. Um, well, we're in Romans 3.23. Let's continue from our memory verse. How is it that God is righteous and just? He answers it right after this. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and, all, and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood. Propitiation means that God has satisfied his wrath in Christ. Christ has stood in our place for the wrath that we deserve by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. God is holding back his wrath. God is holding back justice. But in Christ now, his righteousness is shown. His justice is shown because for those who put their faith in Christ, the account is made. Justice is done on his son on our behalf. But the whole world still stands to face judgment. Turn with me real quick to 2 Peter chapter 3. Verse 4, now talking about our day. As they will say, where is the promise of his coming? Forever, since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they have from the beginning of creation. Does that sound familiar? All of these stories about the Old Testament, about God and the world, and that's all myth. <clears throat> That's what they say. Verse 5, <clears throat> for they deliberately overlooked this fact that the heavens existed long ago. And the earth was formed out of water, through water, by the word of God. And that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. That's the flood. All around us is a graveyard, evidence of the flood, uh, the the fossil account around us. You'd have to talk, though, to a creation scientist in order to get that because we can't, we can't say the Bible's true. And so in science, we just start from there. It can't be the result of flood. <laughs> but we, we're sitting in a big graveyard. If you just open your eyes and look around, there was a devastation that the whole world went through. By the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. God will not hold off forever. 
And do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. That saying is, God doesn't see time the same way we do. He's, he's outside of time. He's not taking a long time to this end. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. God wants more to reach repentance, and so he continues to hold off. More to trust in his son. My question for you, have you reached repentance? Have you reached repentance? Dan, you can go ahead and come on up. I got one more point here. If you turn with me to Hebrews chapter 3, our final point is going to be a question. Hebrews chapter 3, starting in verse 7, is quoting uh, from Psalms, from David. And, and what, what, what was in view in the Psalms was looking at Israel. God finally led them. After Mount Sinai, they were on the edge looking into the promised land. Very, very type, a, a close type to the Garden of Eden. God had prepared a place that they didn't have to create. They didn't have to drill the wells. That There was cities that they didn't make. There was... There were vineyards that they had not planted. This was a place that God had for them, a place of blessing where they would then reside and serve him as God, worship him as God in a place and blessing that he had provided. That sounds a lot like the Garden of Eden, God's purpose. And as they stood on the edge of that, looking into it, that's what he's talking about here. In verse 7, therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. And as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. You see, as they stood looking in there, they also saw the opposition. They said, that's impossible. We can't do that. They didn't believe God. So God was angry with them, and that generation didn't get to go into his rest. But they spent 40 years in the wilderness. But this context in Hebrews is not talking about that land, that rest. It's not talking about the Garden of Eden and the rest that was there at the end of the creation week, being in God's rest. No, it's, it's looking into now the rest that is only found in Jesus Christ. And now we stand looking into God's promise in Jesus Christ is saying, don't harden your hearts as they did. So this final part is a question. Do you hear his voice? And if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. It says, today, if you hear his voice, Don't harden your heart. We don't know how many more days we have. To those who haven't given their lives to Christ, do you hear his voice? Maybe you're someone who's listening to this later. We've got a podcast. 
If someone within Hope Church encouraged you to listen to this, do you realize that they are an ambassador for Christ? And through them, the love of Christ is being shown to you, that God is speaking to you through them. A message that God's not counting your sin against you. Do you hear his voice? Be reconciled to God. Believe in his son for salvation. To us who know Christ, we have the privilege when we're dealing with our own sin to take that to Christ, to take that to the cross. Can I encourage you this morning, if, if there's stuff that you just carried in here that you've been carrying that's, that's, that's been burdening you, your own sin, 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, to wash us clean. So let's worship now. Whatever we have, let's bring it to Christ and lay it at his feet. Worship the Lord together. Father, I know I have my own sin to give you, God. God, everything that we have done, that your Holy Spirit has just convicted us in our hearts, God, I, we confess that to you. Because God, we want to walk in your blessing. We have so much to look forward to, a place, just as you created a place for us in the garden, you created a place that was the promised land for the Israelites. God, there is an ultimate place that you are preparing for us now that we, that we hope in that we look forward to. But, but even before we get there, God, there is a place that is found in you right now, God, that is a place where we can serve and obey and worship you while enjoying your blessing in our hearts and our souls. God, lead us to you. Show us where we have committed sin against you, God, so that we can confess that, be washed clean, and walk in good relationship with you, Lord. God, thank you for the, the glory of your purpose. God, we have all sinned, and we fall short of your glory, but in your salvation, God, you are drawing us to yourself. You are leading us to the glorious purpose that you have for us in our lives. We love you, Lord. We thank you, Jesus, and it's your holy name we pray. Amen. Love you, church. Praise the Lord. We got through this one. Sinners is probably the, the least favorite, though, when you compare sin to the glory of God. That's a wonderful thing. We are going to continue through um, towards the ultimate glory and, and talk about the glory on week six that we can look forward to. I'm looking forward to this series and what God is doing through you all. You are all missionaries. To the people around you, as you go out this week, God has said, there is a ministry in this church that we are all a part of. It's a ministry of reconciliation. So let's think about that, pray about that, and lift those up that are in our lives that don't know Jesus. Go with the Lord, church. I love you.